Welcome to the Emboldened Podcast. I'm Naima Abdullahi. And I'm Marquise Francis. Emboldened's mission and vision is to bring the Emma Bowen Foundation community together, and that means you. By giving listeners exclusive access to trailblazers and influential decision makers in the media industry. And this is the ninth episode of the first season, the inaugural season of the Emboldened Podcast. And our guest today is one of the founding board members of the Emma Bowen Foundation, Ms. Patricia Jordan. Wow, a founding member. Patricia Jordan is also the board chairperson of the ML Bowen Community Service Center, which is committed to fulfilling Emma Bowen's lifelong mission to creating an environment where people feel welcome. The Harlem Based Center is a nonprofit that has empowered thousands of individuals over the years and families to effectively cope with mental health. Yeah, we we know how important mental health is. So thank you so much for joining us today uh, on the Bolden Podcast, Ms. Jordan. I'm happy to be here. And thank you so much for uh, that introduction. I'm greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just want to just start off with kind of just like a feeler to set things up. I mean, how, how are you feeling right now with, you know, we're kind of, I don't know if you want to say in the middle of quarantine, but obviously the world is seemingly on lockdown with COVID-19. We're in the midst of just so much injustice. You know, the injustice that we've known has gone on for so long, but we're seeing so much police brutality, you know, and yet you've kind of made it your life work to help those. And I'm just curious how have things been for you and how have things pivoted in this crucial time? Well, things are okay. It it causes me to reflect back to the 60s and what happens, happened, and also to see how everything is sort of being recycled, or maybe I should say it is a continuum of what occurred in the 60s, but maybe on a different level and in a different way, but I don't see a real difference. So, yes, it's somewhat disheartening to see that what is taking place now is very similar to what has happened in the past. And you would think that we may have moved a little bit farther along than we have in regarding to some of the injustices that are vividly being displayed by the media. Mm, right. And so someone who, who knew Emma, Emma Bowen, can you just tell me a little bit about her and what made you move and, 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 you know, be a part of this community center service center? Well, Emma was a wonderful individual. She was amazing. She had a very, very robust personality. And what I've always respected so much about Emma is that whatever she did, it was not for herself. It was always about community. It was always about those who need help the most. And that's what she devoted her life to. She was a community activist. She was a promoter of racial and social injustices. And she carried that message wherever she went. I was also impressed with Emma because she had this uncanny ability to speak with anyone regardless of their stature in life. I met Emma around 1969-1970. And at that time, she was in the midst of bringing up two organizations around the same time. Black Citizens for a Fair Media, and the what was then known as the Upper Manhattan Mental Health Center, and we changed the name over to its founders, named Emma Elborn Community Service Center after a passing in 1996. Emma always saw the relationship between the media 
the images that were on the media, how they were projected, and how those images had impact on mental health. So as a mental health professional, she was all keenly aware of always looking at the media as well as the issues around mental health. And because of that, she moved forward to establish the Mental Health Center, which came into existence in 1986, even though there was a forerunner organization that served as a platform or the catalyst for the organization as it stands today. And in that regard, we serve all ages, and we serve over 30,000 clients a year. So I was very much uh, attracted to what Mrs. Bowen was doing and what she stood for, because it was always about making a change. That was her Mm. focus, and I respected that. You know, as you talk about her as someone you met in the 60s, and she has two ongoing legacies right now, the foundation and the center. As you talk about her, I'm trying to really envision her revolutionary energy and how impactful it has been, you know, since she passed away in 1996 to now, her legacy continues to grow. Did she know how special she was? Um, Not really. Because Emma was never about Emma. It was always mm-hmm. about doing something for someone else. So mm-hmm. she didn't you know, she didn't see herself as being this woman who was in this powerful position, making doing great things. She just wanted to make it happen. But she was just a, an amazing person. And as I've often said to others before, is that while we speak about her community activism and about being a promoter around racial and social injustices. I also see Emma as a person who was a strategic planner. And uh, I recall us going into several meetings, and I've never seen Emma leave a meeting where she did not accomplish at least 99.9% of her agenda. Wow. And then when you, when you think about the foundation now, you know, 30 years later, you know, where do you feel as though the foundation, you know, where it is now, what are some of the things that you think that Emma Bowen and yourself as one of the founding board members are proud of? And where's kind of like the next 30 that you want to see the foundation continue to grow? Well, I think one of the things that make both of, makes both of us very proud is to see the young people as they emerge from their younger years to where they are now. Emma always supported and believed so much in young people. And to see the graduates, to see the alumni, you know, how articulate they are, how much they understand Emma's mission and how much they want to see Emma's mission continues by the work that they do as they move into the various careers throughout the throughout this industry. Of course, one of the things that Emma always spoke about, and I always feel very strongly as well, is you know, there are so many facets of the media. And we want to see that the young people who graduate, who finish the program, are able to move into very, very successful positions throughout the media. Emma always spoke about the importance of sales because she saw the sales track as leading toward becoming a a manager in the media, becoming a general manager. So we like to see more people, more of the younger graduates, being able to move into management positions, as well as, you know, being on the corporate boards. 
There are very few of us on these corporate boards. So though that is the direction we would like to see us move toward during the future. And I think we'll get there. And how have you been able to navigate your way around your career? You've invested decades into the program and into the center. Tell us about, you know, how you have been able to go from one job to another until you found that sense of purpose. Uh, it's just a matter of being determined and being focused. Uh, in fact, I think I would get bored if I didn't do more than one thing at a time. So it's a matter of determination, a matter of being focused, and a matter of having a passion for what you do, which I see so very much in the young people who go through the Emma Bowen uh, Foundation program. And so right now we're entering quite a, a different time, especially for Emma Bowen graduates. So through everything that you've seen, you know, because... 30 years is a long time, right, for the Emma Bowen's uh, inception. And they've, you've seen students go through um, the recession and, and different just trying times. What, what's your, what would be your advice for students who are graduating now to navigate, whether that be uh, job advice or just, you know, personal advice, being able to get through, you know, what they're going through, but also kind of think positively about the, what, what the future and lies ahead? Okay. Well, I think the main thing is to always stay positive because your attitude determines what you do and how you do it. To always know that change can happen and never think that it cannot occur and always to feel that you as an individual are empowered to make change and that you're not allowing anyone to stand in your way to move forward. That would be my overall advice to anyone and in any way you plan to move forward. But most importantly is attitude, being able to understand the environment in which you will be working in and to understand the environment in which you have to, you have to operate, understand who, who you're working with. Also be willing to reach out and accept resources from everyone. And very importantly, to listen. We talk about communications, but communications, you know, and, and covers several parts. And one of the most important parts is having that ability to really listen so that you can understand what is actually being said, what is actually taking place in the environment in which you operate. And as this young generation, you know, in the midst of nationwide protests, calls for justice, equality, with the climate of the nation right now, what would you tell this young generation to also, in a way, be mindful of the cycle of the demands from generation to generation, from the 60s, 70s, 80s to now? There is a constant in all of that, right? What would you tell this young generation so that they know a lot of what we're experiencing now are remnants of the past, but how can they stay motivated to know that they can make a difference in this lifetime and this generation as well? <laughs> You have to believe when we did whatever we did during the 60s, we did it because we believed we could make a difference. You always have to believe. Emma had a, a, a saying that I always liked and respected and was having this can-do attitude. And you must always keep this can-do attitude. It's no reason why this young generation cannot pick up the mantle and move forward and make change. And I think that's what Mr. John Lewis was speaking about when he wrote his op-ed piece in the New York Times. 
And I think everyone should listen to that message he left, especially young people. I have the greatest respect for what's being done now by the young people, the ones mm-hmm. that are moving in a peaceful way. And you know, it can be done. Don't ever think anything can be done. As long as you have the right attitude and you're determined and it's your passion to make change, it can happen. Were there any moments around the same time you met Emma in the late 60s, were there any moments where both of you felt spiritually defeated by the climate of the country, maybe not have felt that you could make as big of a difference as you have? Were there moments where you felt like, in in some way, like, oh my goodness, this is a big task we're taking on? Uh, no, actually, it had just the opposite effect. It motivated uh-huh. you to, to do more. No, it did not. There was a video I saw on YouTube where you talked about a saying that Emma Bowen had. It was a conference video. The video is like a minute and 30 seconds long. Can you tell us about that saying that she had? Oh, uh, yeah. Emma had a saying that it was not in the streets, but in the suites. And by that, she meant that demonstrations, we, we were moving forward in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. We never demonstrated at any point in the street. Everything was taken to the corporate corporate sector, to the corporate border. That's where, so that's what she meant. It's not in the streets, but it's in the suites where it makes a difference. It was taken to the heads of where decisions are made. And that's where all of the discussions, negotiations, and the talks around change regarding the media, as well as her work with the work with the mental health center occurred. It occurred in the corporate offices. S-U-I-T-E-S, suites, right? Suites, suites, yes. The corporate suites. Mm, So it's not in the streets, it's in the suites. Okay, I I might have to use that on Twitter. I'll make sure to credit (laughs) yourself. And the other saying, and this comes basically not only from Emma, but from my, my late husband, is the rubber band theory that speaks about as long as you keep the rubber band stretched, you're okay. But once you let it go, it goes back to its original shape. I feel like some pastor is going to use that one Sunday. That sounds okay. like a sermon right there. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but you know, you you touched you you talk about believing. You talk about right now reminds you of the '60s, and you know you, everything that yourself and so many other forward-thinking people have done from then to now. You know, allows young people like myself and Naima to be able to dream big. You know, but I'm just curious what inspires you, or what specifically keeps you believing? Because Naima just mentioned, I mean. I feel like there's so many times where, you know, you get tired, right? And I know the idea is you do as much as you can, you get tired and you pass the baton along so you can get it back and run some more. But is there anything that sticks out to you that allows you to just continue to be inspired? It's just it's a determination. It's having a goal. It's being focused. And you don't allow yourself to get tired. I remember mm-hmm. a statement uh that says to dream about what you want is one thing, but to make that dream a reality takes many things. So it takes many things. It means supporting each other, and some it means supporting each other. I'm so impressed with the young people, but you cannot get tired. You never get tired. I'm pretty well up in age, and I'm not tired. If I'm not tired, young people definitely should not be tired. And you never feel defeated. Never feel defeated. 
I love that. When I was covering the John Lewis services, I saw so many foot soldiers from the past that were still out there in wheelchairs and, you know, walking with canes. It didn't matter because for them, it was a way of life. It wasn't just let's go to this let's go to this march with Hosea Williams or let's go to this church service with Ralph Abernathy. It, it's a lifelong commitment. And you see that in the generation that grew up in the 60s, you see that they are lifelong foot soldiers. What message do you have for this young generation amplifying and really cultivating uh, a level of audacity that matches that? What does this generation need to do to get to that level of commitment for the movement and for the betterment of black lives? Oh, I think as I've said before, one, you have to have a goal and a passion and believe in it. You know, it's not something that happens and you get involved with for one week or for two weeks or for a month or for a year. You have to make a commitment and know in yourself that you've made this commitment, especially now. I, I, I know no other way to say it other than to believe in yourself. To believe in yourself and what you can do and never allow anyone to stand in the way of moving forward. That's that is my message. I can't I can't envision anyone getting tired. I'm and maybe, you know, <laughs> I'm looking at this a little differently. But a passion, be passionate about what you're doing and believing in it. Uh, and not letting other people create the environment for you. You always create your own environment so that you can walk through various different paths. No, absolutely. What are life lessons you learned along the way, the hard way, right? A lot of us learn through trial and error. Um, What are some life lessons you learned the hard way that really shaped you and strengthened your ability to really navigate in a corporate structure, also known as the suites? Oh, well, I don't know. I guess it's what I've experienced throughout my life. I I first became involved when I was around 14 years of age, and I was walking around the White House with my little picket sign saying to ban the bomb. I moved on later years to to go to Ken Howard University, and I happened to be there with people who were on campus at that time, including Stokely and Carmichael. Uh, mm-hmm. I later moved to Columbia to go to graduate you went school. You went to school with Stokely. Oh yeah, yeah, I was there. Stokely, he was there, and wow. yeah, and also oh, my favorite singer—I can't remember her name—Roberta Flack was there at that, around that time. She was, you know, years ahead, years ahead, a couple of years ahead of me. So it was an interesting environment, and then I left there to go to Columbia. Uh, which was a totally different environment. I would walk around campus, which was a big challenge. I think there were, at that time there were only a couple of other people of color on campus, and those were African students. So mm-hmm. those were some of the challenges that sometimes I wanted to say, hey, you know, I'm not sure about myself. I'm, I moved from a totally black environment to a totally white environment, and uh, sort of all, all by, by myself. But I did not become despondent over it. It just created another way for me to, to motivate me to to continue what I was trying to do and to always think about how I can make a change, make a difference. But those were some of the challenges during the early days. And having originally grown up in a, during my very early years, 
in a segregated uh, community where I actually saw all the signs that said colored only and where you would go into a little shoe store as a young child, about four years of age, where you could not be fitted for your shoes because you could not, they would not do that. You had to take your shoes and hopefully when you got home, they would fit. So, you know, and watching the experiences of what some of my elders went through. So mm-hmm. all of those things coming together, you know, sort of, you know, leaves an imprint in terms of helping to develop who you become and how you continue to want to make a difference in life. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm also curious about, because, you know, with all of your kind of foresight, wisdom and all of the things that you've seen through the years right now, you know, the tech industry, the media industry, communications industry is really having a reckoning where, you know, black is kind of cool, right? You know, to us, black has always been cool. We, we live this life every day, but now there's companies that want to hire more black individuals. There's companies that want to have more black content. And these are things that folks have literally been dying for, for years. And now it, it's hot. So I'm just curious from your perspective, what do you feel like is necessary to keep the pressure on these companies to ensure that this is not just a fad and this is something for the long haul? Yeah, that's that's a difficult one because we've seen that over the years, you know, as we've had you know, social situations somewhat similar to where we are now, you would have a wave of particularly blacks who would move into positions and then the gate came down. It stopped. Mm-hmm. And then something else would happen, there would be another wave to move through. So that is something we have to watch out for. And I have to give a little thought. I mean, how do you keep it going? I think you need to keep the pressure on. And I'm impressed about the way that the protests have, in various ways, have continued so that you can sustain the pressure. So <laughs> you can never let up. But it's a hot ticket, but you're so right. You know, it's how do you keep the pressure on? You keep the pressure on by keeping on the, keeping on the pressure. You keep, you know, with the protest, you never let people forget. And as much as we can articulate through not only the, through the electronic media and continue to get the message out to the younger generation. So as they come behind us, they will also step into those shoes as well. As you're kind of telling us how it was like back then, what comes to my mind is a quote that Dr. King said, you know, and he said, all we ask for America is do what you said on paper. And to know that, you know, what was said on paper is, you know, with liberty and justice for all, we hold, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. These are promises that were made on paper. And to think of all the thousands of people, right, that never saw victory in their lifetime. But those who decided to have that lifelong commitment made sure that the visions that were never that never came into fruition didn't leave this world as something that would never come about one day. So I appreciate the fact that you were in the front lines and you still care about the people and the, our communities. Emma Bowen was in the front lines, and she continuously cared. Because if it wasn't for people like you, and if it wasn't for people like Emma Bowen, I don't know if I would be here today. Well, we thank you for that. And that's why it's so important. You want to see you and other members 
like yourself to pick up that torch and carry forward. Remember that when we started, we were young. This was a young generation. And the movement has to be continued by young people. So we thank you, you know, for not only recognizing what happened in the past, but using the past as a platform to move forward. Yes, and we th- we thank you for that. I mean, you know, from my own perspective, I've learned so much about Emma Bowen, the person through this, and now I'm learning more about the center and everything you have done and, and who you are and the work that you began, you know, 30 years ago and the work that we still need to do. And then lastly, as we continue preserving uh, the history of Emma Bowen, what do you think she would say to us right now if she could say, if she could see how her legacy has continued? She would be ecstatic. She would love every moment of it, but her message would still be the same. Continue to fight, continue to move on, and continue to operate in the corporate offices to make change. From the streets to the suites, we thank you (laughs) so much for sharing her wonderful stories and sharing your time with us today. Well, I thank you for what you're doing. She would be so, so proud of you. There was never a time that we went to any of our meetings that ever did not make a point of bringing along a college student or a high school student because she wanted to expose them so they could see firsthand what we were doing. And this was her way of making certain that they would pick up the torch and move forward as I see that you're doing. So I'm so very proud of you guys and the young people. You know, it, it makes a big difference. And we'll continue to make a difference because you have to keep the pressure moving forward. Absolutely. And thank you for being a guest on the ninth episode of the first season of the Emboldened Podcast. One of the founding members of the founding board members of the Emma Bowen Foundation, Miss Patricia Jordan. Thank you so much. And I hope our listeners learned a thing or two about the legacy we need to continue, the legacy of Emma L. Bowen. Okay. And thank you so much. I appreciate it.